Here's the question. Are you a business owner wanting to grow your business, but you're struggling with how your podcast can help? Well, welcome to the show that's about to change all that. I am your host, Cliff Duvinois, and in this podcast, we're taking the problems of podcasting head on. Entrepreneurs like you will share their strategies, tactics, and tips that they use every day with their podcast to make it an effective marketing and revenue tool in their toolkit. Welcome to Entrepreneurs on Podcasting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Entrepreneurs on Podcasting. This is episode number 20 with your host, Cliff Duvinois. So what I want to do is I want to take this episode and probably episode 25 as well, and I want to talk a little bit about Podfade. What causes Podfade? Now, I've said before in a number of interviews on this show, and I'm going to say it again and again and again until I'm blue in the face, 60 to 80% of podcasts go into Podfade. Now, it's going to be no surprise when I tell you the average time to produce a podcast episode is 10 hours. If you know that, it's really not that hard to sit there and say to yourself, gee, I now understand why so many podcasts go into Podfade. Who has 10 hours to work on a 30-minute episode? Well, I certainly don't, and I didn't, and that's why my podcast went into pod fade. But here's the situation. Here's the deal. For these 10 hours, why is it taking so long? I mean, if you ever stop to take a look at it and think about it, there's some times where somebody can rip out an episode in 15 minutes. Why is it taking other people 10 hours to do? Well, the culprit, I believe, in my heart of hearts, is perfectionism. That's what it is in all of its various forms. So what I want to do is I want to share with you a little bit of a story that happened about two months ago. And what this revolves around is we had just launched our podcast production business. Now, if you're not familiar with what podcast production is, what it is is for these entrepreneurs out there that have a podcast, if they want to get back five or six hours of their time, they send it me the episode. I turned it over to my team. And what we do is we edit the episode, make it sound awesome. We write show notes for it that are SEO friendly. We do transcriptions. We provide social media assets for it, the whole nine yards, give it back to the entrepreneur and it is ready to go. Right? So in exchange for, you know, a little bit of money, the entrepreneur now is now getting five to six hours of his life back every single week. So that's what podcast production is. Now, I started working with this particular gentleman, and just for the sake of this story, I'm going to call him Paul. Now, when I started talking with Paul and working with him and bringing him on board, at first, my gut said, you don't want to deal with this guy. Have you ever had those situations where you're talking to somebody and you're thinking about doing business with them and you're talking, 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 and all of a sudden that those like little hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you're like, gee, I don't know if I really want to work with this person or not. Well, I chose to overrode or override my gut, so to speak, and actually work with them because, you know, there could be an opportunity for me to learn something from this experience. You know, maybe there's a better way for me to do it. Maybe I could learn a different strategy or a different tactic, right? Because to me, getting better is more important. So I said, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do it. He gave me the episode. We went ahead and we did the show notes for it. Everything looked good. My team did a phenomenal job. When I handed it back to him, it was about a day later, he came back to me and said, okay, so I saw your show notes, I critiqued them, I want you to review them and then reach out to me. And I thought, wow, this does not bode well. You know, who does this? Anyways, I went and I took a look at the show notes and I was stunned 
at the number of comments that he had made. Basically, my team and I had done a terrible job. Now, I'm the first person on the planet that will actually tell you that if I do a horrible job, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Cliff, this isn't very good, I'll be, I'm the first person to own it. Jocko Willink wrote Extreme Ownership. I have bought into that hook, line, and sinker. If my team makes a mistake, it's my fault. If I make a mistake, it's my fault. I don't blame other people. So immediately I apologize to Paul and I say, man, I'm, I'm really sorry that we, we did really bad. Let me review this with the team and I will get back to you. Well, before I pulled my team in on this, I decided to go through his notes in detail to find out exactly what it was that he was flagging and spending all these comments on. Because literally, if you've ever seen any kind of like document tracking inside of Word, it puts these like little flags all over the screen. They were everywhere. I was like, man, this is, <laughs> this is just crazy. Well, some of them on there, admittedly, uh, like, so for instance, let's say the name of his company was called Black Cave. So I would put Black Space Cave. Well, come to find out, Black Cave was meant to be one word. I did not know that, but that's okay. I can just do a find and replace. And every time that I see Black Space Cave, I can just replace it with Black Cave, all one word, not a big deal. But what he did is he went through the entire document and flagged every single tiny incident of it. And I thought, holy smokes, who does this? You know, who, how does he have the time to do this, right? He hired us because he wanted to get time back, but yet here he is, he's spending all, I was like, okay, you know, let that go, Cliff, let's move on. But this is this next thing that I saw that caught my eye that was like, you know what? We've got something here that's going on. There's a major issue. There's a major philosophical difference here. Now, this is exactly what part of the show notes is, right? We pull quotes out of the actual interview so that our client can use that to create social media images if they want, or if they want to create audiograms, whatever it is, or we do that for them. But we pull out pull quotes for them, typically about four every single episode. Something phenomenal that was said in that interview that would get people's attention. Now, in the interview, he actually said, companies need to reduce friction between themselves and their customers in order to make it easy for customers to be able to buy their products, right? That's, a, that's, that's exactly what he said. Now, my team in going through and creating these show notes saw that and said, you know, that's a very powerful quote. So they put that up at the top of the page. Well, he flagged that. And on his note off to the side, what I read completely shocked me. I had to actually read it twice. He flagged the word friction and said, people might think this has a sexual connotation to it. Now, just think about that for a second. And I'm, I was just lost, completely lost. And so when he and I actually had a conversation and we talked about it and I said, by the way, I've got some questions here because there was other things that he had pointed out in the document, but this was the one that I really wanted to talk to him about. And I showed him in the document. I said, you do realize that you said this in the interview. He said, yeah, but if people are listening to it, they're going to hear it in context. So they won't think that way. But if you see it as a pull quote, people are going to think that it has a sexual connotation to it. I was floored. Absolutely floored. Now, maybe this is because I'm naive, right? Because this whole conversation, when I look and I see the sentence and it says, you know, companies need to reduce friction between themselves and their customers, I'm not thinking about it in some kind of a sexual connotation at all. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Maybe the world doesn't think like Cliff does, right? Maybe I've got, just got this pie in the sky, nice, everything is roses and daisies. So I went out to two women that I know. They don't know each other at all. Both of them 
very strong into you know women's rights and supporting women and actually one of them deals with women that have been uh, in abusive relationships and i actually gave them this sentence just that sentence i didn't give them didn't send them the whole podcast i didn't send them the whole script i just sent them that one sentence and i said would you please tell me what this means and they both came back to me their answers were almost identical companies need to make it easier for people to be able to give them money that's what they said that's what they that's what they both came back with and so then I asked the question very pointedly. I said, does this have a sexual connotation to it? And both of them, both of them looked at me like I was some kind of a two-headed alien. Like where in the world would you possibly get that idea? But that's when I realized that his comment about going through there and like the whole time that he had spent, make sure that he flagged every little gap between black and cave was because he's a perfectionist. Now, before we go on, before we start moving through this conversation, I actually want to take a second to actually define what a perfectionist is or what perfectionism is. To do that, I'm going to turn to my good buddy and pal, Brene Brown. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Her TEDx talk on YouTube has been seen like 11 billion times. She's crazy popular. I love her stuff. Here's what she said about perfectionism. When, when perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. We struggle with perfectionism in areas where we feel most vulnerable to shame. Perfectionism, what is that? I call it the 20-ton shield. Here's what perfectionism really is. It's a way of thinking that says this. If I look perfect, live perfect, work perfect, I can avoid or minimize criticism, blame, and ridicule. So perfectionism is stemmed from the fact that we are worried about what other people are going to think or what they might think. So what we do then is we set these impossibly high standards because we're afraid of what people might think. And this is exactly what Paul was doing because he was afraid that somebody might think that friction had some kind of a sexual connotation to it, right? This is what perfectionism is. Now I get it. I'm a recovering engineer. Making mistakes is something that was beat out of me when I went to college. Actually, there's a course that every engineer has to take that's called Perfectionism 101. But when I switched over to becoming an entrepreneur, it was so hard to let that go. Perfectionism thinks I wanted everything to be perfect that went out into the world. But you know what? It's a basic common fact. And if you're listening to this, you know it's true. You're going to start shaking your head. People aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. I have spent the last 10 years being an entrepreneur trying to understand people. And I understand people aren't perfect. So even though I might be an engineer or a recovering engineer, I also recognize the fact that I'm human and I am not perfect. But I would have to tell you right now that I would be lying if I didn't say that I fought my perfectionism on a daily basis, but it doesn't run my life. So now as I'm going through and I'm trying to understand perfectionism better and what causes it, right? What are the symptoms of it and what can we do to get better of it? I was actually surprised to learn that there are different levels of perfectionism. Like a perfectionist studied perfectionism, right? We have to come up with multiple levels. Well, Hank Green, who is the host of the popular YouTube channel called the SciShow Psych, here is what he had to say about perfectionism. 
One common framework scientists use to study perfectionism divides it into three different dimensions, self-oriented, socially prescribed, and other-oriented. Self-oriented perfectionism is maybe the most well-known kind. It means that you have an unattainably high standard for yourself and get frustrated if you don't meet it. Socially prescribed perfectionism is similar, but it's what happens when that high standard is coming from your friends and family. In other words, you are more worried about letting them down than yourself. The third kind of perfectionism in this framework is called others-oriented, and while it's a little different, it is still not good for you. It's where someone applies their unattainably high standard to everyone around them instead of themselves. So let's break that down a little bit. So I go, you know, I'm a recovering engineer. I have perfectionism to the extreme. We decided that we're going to launch podcast production as a business. Now, I already understand in my heart of hearts that I can't do show notes perfectly. There is no format to it. There's no adopted universal way that says this is how you do show notes. Basically, everybody makes it up on their own. What I do is I do what an engineer does is I went out and I studied the top podcasts that were out there. How are they doing their show notes? Right. Put that together, develop the process at it. I was like, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. Then I went back and I trained my team on how to do it. My entire intent, my entire goal, my expectation of the team was I wanted them to be at least 80% of what I could do. I know they couldn't do the job that I could. I just knew that they couldn't. But my goal was that if I can get them to be 80% as good as what I could do, then we would have a solid product. We would have a solid service to go out there. People would be happy with their results. Well, needless to say, my team didn't hit 80%. It was more like 120%. They were way better than what I was. You know, their use of vocabulary and, and when they put the notes together and everything else was just so much richer than I do, which is crazy because I'm actually a writer. But you see, this is, this is what happens when you give people the opportunity to impress you. Yeah, I didn't set unrealistic expectations on them. I did not micromanage every little tiny thing that they did. I just said, here you go. Here's the process. Figure it out. But isn't this the reason why entrepreneurs, this is the reason why we hire people, right? Because they've got skills that we don't have. They've got talents that we don't have because their skills complement our own and they're better at certain things than we are. And nine times out of 10, they can do it faster than what we can. But that's why we hire them. Many moons ago, I was a cog in a wheel and I hated it. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? If I ever run a business, I don't want my employees to feel like they're cogs in a wheel. Never want that to happen. I want to gut them to have plenty of opportunities to shine. And every single time that I do that, man, my team always comes back and impresses me. Now, the one thing is, is when we talk about these three levels of perfectionism, I'll totally admit I'm self-orientated, right? That's my perfectionism because it's what I demand of myself. But at the same point in time, I don't have other orientation, meaning I don't project my perfectionism onto other people and expect them to be perfect because I know they can't be perfect, right? They're humans. This is what we do. Now for Paul, he actually had enough self-awareness that he knew that he could not be a perfectionist in writing his show notes because it was consuming too much of his time because perfectionism is not sustainable. But his thinking was that, you know what? I don't have time to do it perfectly, so I'm going to hire someone else to do it perfectly, right? He went from being self-orientated to being other-orientated. I am going to project my perfectionism onto other people. 
And that is just not a good recipe for success. Now, somebody could be listening to this podcast right now and they could be saying, well, Cliff, he just wanted you to do a good job. He just wants excellence from you and everything that you do. And you know what? I totally get that. But there's a fine line between doing a good job and being a perfectionist. So for this argument here, I'm going to ask Brene to come back in and share some more knowledge with us. Here's the difference. Because sometimes I'm a healthy striver and sometimes I'm a perfectionist. It depends on if I'm feeling, if I've got a worthiness crutch going yeah. on. So healthy striving is internally focused. It's I want to do this and be the best I can be. Perfectionism is not about what I want. It's perfectionism is exactly what will people think. think. Now, remember what we were talking about before, right? Paul was just obsessed because people might think that that word friction had a sexual connotation to it, right? He was so focused on what people might think. This is a clear sign of perfectionism. It's not healthy striving, it's perfectionism. And if you think about it, right, when you start thinking about all the vocabulary we have out there, anything could have some kind of a dirty connotation to it, right? If I'm watching baseball on TV and I'm like, oh, that dude just made it to third base. Oops, sorry, can't say that. Negative connotation. Oh, I went outside and mowed the grass today. Boom, sorry, negative connotation on that too. Bzz, wrong answer. I don't have time to sit there and look at every single word and wonder how many different ways people are going to, to interpret that word. Right? I assume that when people are reading it, they're coming to it with a certain mindset and that's how they interpret it. So now with regards to the podcast production thing and what it's going on and the process and everything else like that. At some point in time, I told Paul, I said, you know what? My best advice for you would be for you to hire an employee. Don't contract it out. Hire an employee that you could train yourself to follow your processes and your system to make sure that you can do it perfectly. But I can tell you this, the very next day after we let Paul go, I onboarded a client. We did their episode. We did what I we, what we do. You know, edited the audio, made it sound incredible. Got them awesome show notes. Put the whole package together. Sent it over to them, and I was one hundred and ten percent confident that we had hit the mark. And you know what? That client came back to us, and he said, "Quote, Cliff, this is awesome. Can you do this for another podcast that we're producing?" And my answer: Why, yes, we can. Because you see, the thing is. I don't want to spend my time out there trying to make people happy that I know that I cannot make happy. This was the gut feeling that I had at the very beginning of this entire adventure. I knew I wasn't going to make him happy just by the way he was talking, just by the way he was sounding, because he was going to be a perfectionist. And you can't make perfectionists happy because perfectionists are never happy with themselves. And if they can't make themselves happy, how am I supposed to make them happy? There are literally 10,000 potential customers out there for me, why spend my time on the one that I can never make happy? He's clearly not my people. I mean, one thing I've espoused throughout all these podcast episodes, and I've talked in various other episodes, is truly understanding who your ideal customer avatar is. And when I go and I look at my customer avatar, even I reread it before I jumped on this podcast here to record it, nowhere in there does it say that my ideal customer avatar is a perfectionist. But you know what my, my uh, ICA really cares about? They care about results. That's what they care about. That is my type of people. They're focused on the results, the end results. Am I getting the results that you promised me that I am paying for? I'm not paying for perfection. I'm paying for results. You know why? Because perfectionism doesn't pay the bills. Results do. 
And that's what we provide. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for listening to this episode, and we will catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Hey, everyone. I wanted to let you know that enrollment for our free five-day Start My Business podcast challenge is officially open. If you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking a podcast would be a great way to grow your business, but you're not sure how to start one, then this challenge is for you. This challenge is designed by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Now, within the five-day challenge, you'll go from ground zero to having a fully operational podcast that you can use to start growing your business. I'll be sharing with you simple tips and tricks that took me years to learn that will prevent you from spending hours on one episode. Head over to startmybusinesspodcastchallenge.com or click on the link in the show notes down below. We'll see you there.